Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I'm your host, and I'm in Washington, D.C. today in our tiny, tiny studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK. Sitting beside me here is Rosa Brooks, who's looking all happy because I think she's leaving the city soon, <laughs> getting out of town, uh, of Georgetown University and books and all sorts of other fancy stuff. And then also with us here is Julie Smith, who heads the new program in transatlantic security at CNAS and has her own podcast called Brussels Sprouts. Uh, which is on vegetables or transatlantic security or both, the oh, intersection of the two. David, I want to say that I have a new affiliation, too, that I'm really excited about. Can, I, can, I, can yes. I push my new affiliation? I'm now an adjunct scholar or something like that at the Modern War Institute at West Point, which is really exciting because let me tell you Yay! who else is an adjunct scholar or fellow or something like that is Max Brooks, no relation, author of World War Z, Zombie Apocalypse, and he sent me a really nice email, and I'm in love with him. Well, that, Good that's to fantastic. Lay it out there. And, and, and I've, I'm yes. telling your husband, Rosa. Well, I already he told listens. Him. I already told him. Also, her husband is one I of the loyal him. fans of this Because podcast. I'm thinking that there could be a sequel to my book, and it's going to be called How Everything Became War with Zombies. So this that's is pretty good. Dan, Dan Dresner will really like that one, too. Um, there's somebody else with us, but she's in faraway California and hasn't gotten a word in edgewise. <laughs> um, although... Deep State Radio fans will know she's there because they love her laugh. Corey Shockey, Stanford <laughs> University. Um, you're out there. First lo- to go when the zombies come, though. I'm warning you, Corey. You should you should get out. Why are they? Why would zombies? I go like to my. Going to hit the West Coast better. first. Sure, the weather's better. And how yeah. would you know they were even here? That, that's an important uh-huh. point. And secondly. I don't know that a zombie would like warm weather. Zombie, sure they do. They're just like the rest of us. They're just dead. Well, that's an interesting distinction. Speaking of dead, speaking how of do, dead, what do we think of the career of <laughs> Anthony Scaramucci? It was short, <laughs> short, not sweet, <laughs> memorable though. But those ten days, I'll remember those. No, we'll all remember those days. Anthony Scaramucci went from being somebody we didn't know to somebody we hugely famous. To somebody hugely famous for being an asshole, to somebody hugely famous for being an asshole who divorced his wife in order to be an asshole or she divorced him, to somebody hugely famous for being an asshole, getting divorced (laughs) and not showing up for the birth of his kid, to two days later being somebody famous for being unemployed. Hooray. Hooray. That's a – Goodbye, mooch. We hardly knew ye. We hardly knew ya. We didn't really get much chance to talk about him here, so this is the chance. Corey? I feel like we knew more about him than I, for one, ever wanted to. 
Well, like, that, I really could have done without the transcript of the New Yorker conversation with Ryan Lizza. Yeah. That's yeah. true. There were some terms that 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 several of us uh, media experts had to look up uh, because we were not familiar <laughs> with them anatomically speaking. Oh, yeah, so, and I'm sure you were I one know. of them. Rosa. I did. I thought Our I did. Ears. <laughs> yeah. Julie is embarrassed. I, to I do that. not recognize that word. I, I, on the other hand, as soon as I saw it, my first reaction was to call my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like, you know, she's she's sitting there in New Jersey, and she literally lives to be outraged at the Trump administration. Oh, it well, drives that was her life. Made for outrage. And I was like, yeah. immediately go to the New Yorker and read this Ryan Lewis. Our thing. mothers are very different. My mother is so. <laughs> So much to the left that she can't be bothered being outraged by Trump. She says the liberals can be outraged by him. I, well, they'll take care of him. <laughs> I'm too busy. I'd like to join her world. I know, I'm, I'm tired of being outraged. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, sounds that's, glorious. That's can an I go interesting to that point. Are, yeah. we gonna, are we coming up, Corey, on outrage fatigue in America? I actually do think that's a problem with the Trump administration. Like when we realize he has actually only been in – office six months and so scaramucci firing is actually julie just like tried to bash to her head against the acoustic tile of the studio <laughs> yeah it, well that's what's I happening blame her that's, at that's all. the reason we have to record yeah. these things in padded rooms that's true because Julie was banging her head against truly, the wall. Truly, truly. Do you want to say I have, I a have, eulogy? I, I, Do you have a <laughs> eulogy for Anthony Scaramucci that you would like to I, offer? I don't. I don't. He's doing but the Fandango somewhere in, in I heaven. I just, you know, you always think you're closing one chapter. Will things level out? I think we have our answer. Nothing's ever going to level out. So it's just a matter of can we, I don't know, can we moderate our own outrage? I keep trying, but it's uh, it's a tall order, I have to say. How's your outrage, Reza? My my outrage is actually high, uh, and I don't I don't <laughs> wish to moderate it because that way lies uh, all sorts of madness, totalitarianism, and catastrophe. I think that's precisely what happens, right? Is that is that we. Uh, and, and, and in fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a good deal of scholarship on this, right? Um, when you look at the slide into various forms of, of awfulness, totalitarianism, atrocity, and so on, that the technique is precisely you, you, you take little baby steps and you numb people and you act crazy in all sorts of ways and people just get tired and they get bored. And so then they don't notice when you actually make that final slide into – you know, unforgivable awfulness. Uh, so no, I actually think but that we need to. But my blood pressure. I, don't, I know. No, my I realize health, that there Rosa. are health risks. I mean, my mental health. Alone. I realize that there are health risks involved with Seriously. maintaining a high level outreach. I just love listening. I could listen to Rosa do this all day. <laughs> it's it's why she's known far and wide as Silo Girl. You know, yeah, yeah. she's the one who had us the heading next for thing the bunkers. You know, it's the concentration camp. <laughs> Right, the crown of thorns. There you go. There you have it. Yeah, that's it, the crown (laughs) of thorns. But meanwhile, the tiara of optimism remains out there in California. Corey, General Kelly's going to solve all our problems because, first of all, he's a general. He's a handsome man. And secondly, Rosa thinks he's handsome, and Julie is making the face. And um, then, on top of that, he's still a general. What else? So he – I I don't mean to be churlish, David, but I do think it's important to make a distinction between active duty servicemen and women and veterans. John Kelly is a veteran, which doesn't disqualify him from doing 
any job except the Secretary of Defense within seven years, unless he gets a congressional waiver. And I think the odds, like, he's definitely a trade-up from the last White House Chief of Staff. Who but was, who was that last white? Do we remember? <laughs> that was a funny name. I could never yeah. pronounce that. I am, Prince, however, skeptical. Like yeah. Yeah. Skeptical, all right. I do, think John, I do think John Kelly has a better prospect of bringing order to this chaotic White House than most other people because he's so no-nonsense and he seems to have found a way to – be in tune with the president and to get the president to support his choices. But the problem isn't how the White House is functioning. The problem is how the president's functioning. And I'm skeptical that even John Kelly can bring order to that chaos. Well, Julie, you were in a high-level government position where you dealt with General Kelly periodically. I did. I I worked with him in the Pentagon. I actually liked working with General Kelly. He was tough, um, but he did bring order and I process. I believe you were supposed to say tough and, but fair. Uh, tough but fair. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, uh, <clears throat> look, he can – I think he can manage down and maybe he will bring some process and order to the chaos. Um, but, I mean, Corey hit the nail on the head. He's not going to be able to manage up. There's no managing the president. He's not going to turn off Twitter. He is not going to stop backstabbing sessions. He's gonna, not going to stop throwing people under the bus. Don't you think there is some military I mean, technological solution to this Twitter issue? Don't you think that someone at the NSA has the technological capability to, to tur- turn his Twitter to turn off? His Twitter make, off? It, make him believe he's still tweeting. Right. We'll have fake responses. Right. I'm sure Russian bots could do That's, that for him. Well, no, I actually think that is the only patriotic <laughs> They action. probably are. They probably are. They, well, they, are. In fact, we know they are. But, uh, it could be like the Jim Carrey movie where he was, Truman Show. Yeah. Right. And, and pull and, down the set. But you just yeah. pull down the blinds yeah. and give him a feedback uh-huh. loop on his own Twitter. Have a bunch of bots respond uh-huh. to him. Uh-huh. He'll think he's doing what he's doing. You know doing. what this is? This, this is, is genius. It. Okay, wait, David. <laughs> this is stop stop the caravan. I have a near recent cultural reference to offer you. Oh, oh, which geez. is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only it's only like ten years old. Deep state maybe, radio nerds, maybe. please be seated. I, I, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> so, so here's what we should do: the movie Goodbye Lenin, right? Oh. Where the East, where they recreate East Germany for the mother who's been yes. in a coma and they don't want yes. her to die of a stroke. To real, we should just put the president in in. Lenin land where he thinks he's running the country and he's got a permanent Twitter feedback loop that's, that's not great. And Fox and Friends just uh-huh. running uh-huh. all the 24-7 right. just on a just screen. Did David cold to and the floor? He, he calls right into Fox and Friends. I, di- I didn't Real. faint. I have to His say that was a fairly a near-term reference. But it was kind of art house, if you really want to know the truth. And yeah. so, you yeah, know, you it, said it. You said you know, it. I didn't want to say that, I have, but I still give her high marks. Okay, for that. I have Come nothing but sympathy now, for you, folks, Corey. You're raising the standard. Corey, on me. I boasted to my father, of all people, my father who's uh, 75, uh, that I had just seen a recent movie. I said I saw Arrival, and I really liked it. He looked at me. He said that was like three years ago. <laughs> And that was embarrassing. Well, Rosa, so, we do. I was we pretty proud like of myself. I saw it on that. an airplane. 
Oh, see. That's, that's <laughs> no credit and, and for that, airplane movies. Now, see, that movie also, I saw one I of these newfangled movies that has sound. <laughs> wow. Oh. Well, wow. So we're so proud of you, Corey. So I do think, though, returning to the issue of, of John Kelly and Donald Trump, um, you know, I agree with Corey. I, I, I mostly think that his military past is kind of irrelevant. You know, I don't I don't really think we're in a civil military relations but not to anything. Trump. It not is to Trump. Very that's correct. To him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's precisely yeah. the point. Yeah. I think I think should the rest of us think there's any kind of civil military anything interesting going on? Not really, frankly. Um they're all we have all sorts of problems, all sorts of civil military military issues, but none of them are particularly Trump related. What I do think though is that Trump and, and there there's gotta be some weird edible thing going on here or something to do with his early years sent off to military school uh, because he was a misbehaving youth. Um, he loves these guys. He thinks they're very handsome and very manly. You know, I mean, that's a little peculiar, which is, which is the only thing that gives me any hope that, you know, if anybody could manage up, it would be it would be a nice Marine like John Kelly, you know, might sort of snap him back into 14-year-old obedience or something. Well, let me, let me push back. Let me push skeptical. back on it a little bit. First of all, because, yes, as Julia is saying, skeptical. I'm skeptical. First of all, I think he views generals the same hope. way he views gold-plated toilet seats. Which is something that he wants to have around the house to make people think he's powerful and rich. Um, and and so he has like a lot of generals. And it's like, see, I must be president. There are generals around me. But, but secondly, let's just remember the record of John Kelly in this administration. OK, let's follow Corey's yes. advice. He ran the Department of Homeland Security. He, mastermind chief of staff candidate, oversaw the immigration rollout which was a catastrophe. But it was a catastrophe based on a horrific policy that was fundamentally un-American and in which he was a collaborator with Steve Bannon and Miller and some of these other really backwards folks in the White House who apparently supported the choice of him and who are now his allies in the White House. So he's done a terrible job doing bad things in league with bad people. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, he's going to solve the problem? Well, I also think there's a lot of mythology surrounding <clears throat> the issue of what the so-called generals have achieved. I mean, Let's look at the record again. Mattis was on vacation only to learn that the president was announcing via Twitter a new policy about Hey, I would go on the vacation if I thought the president was about well, to do that too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but wise. I mean, so, so where is the respect for Mattis yeah. there? McMaster had to go out and speak to the press after that horrific Oval Office visit by Lavrov and Kislyak. The Russians are in there with TV cameras and he had to go out and essentially fabricate some story about what happened there and was also thrown under the bus a day later, where the president, uh, you know, completely contradicted him. Did Rosa so. just do that on purpose? That wasn't me. I swear it was the Russians. I wasn't me. I cut the thing. <laughs> that the, These things do happen. This is, this is just you have to come to expect these things in our well, I have era. to say, of all the generals right now, the one that I'm liking the most is not Kelly, and it's not Mattis, and it's not McMaster. It's Dunford. I, I'm kind of liking the way the Joint Chief said to the president in the most polite way possible, fuck off. 
you know, in, a, in other words, they, you know, they said it's this tweet. They said speak. They did this so thing simultaneously. So I am a Dunford fan, but that's not. I think that's an inaccurate read of what he was doing, David. It's uh, that what he, in my judgment, the only thing Dunford was doing, he was not saying we won't support this policy. What he was saying was. We actually have a chain of command and we need orders to be issued before we can take action on anything. A tweet doesn't constitute a lawful order to the American military. I, I agree. And, and our, our mutual friend Phil Carter, a colleague of Julie's at CNAS, wrote a piece in Slate arguing that this is very dangerous for civil military relations and that a tweet is so an order and it's a slippery slope if you start saying things like, I don't know what that tweet is. I'm waiting for the official thing. Next thing you know, we're, we're having a military coup, which as you know, I'm a big fan of military coups. Um, but leave that aside for now. Um, I, I think that's nonsense. I mean, I think that we've seen this in we saw this in the Obama administration as well, which is simply the Pentagon pushing back and saying, if you want us to do something, we'll do it, but you have to tell us in a form there's a way to there's, tell, there, yeah. in a form that is comprehensible because otherwise we can't tell the difference between a rhetorical flourish and a speech versus a formal uh, a formal. I, I, I order. gotta tell you, I stick by my statement <laughs> because if you go and you're the commander in chief. And you go to the military that reports to you and you say, do X. He didn't go to the military that reports okay. and said, do X. Yeah, he tweeted no. out randomly okay. to unknown audiences was, uh, bear, bear yeah. with a me. statement. Bear with me. No he process. announced to the American people via a communications channel that is now accepted as a form of White House communication a new policy. I don't accept to, it. To which the response of the Joint Chiefs was – you're going to have to ask me nicely. And, you no, know, that this is, is perfectly reasonable to when, say, come on, guys. Uh, we you know, we the, need some white, guidance, more than 140 House, characters accept, to implement and I, execute. I, I don't execute based on 140 characters. So, David, let me take, let me take an extreme example. If the president were to tweet, uh, we won't accept a North Korean nuclear weapon. Would the Joint Chiefs be justified for launching a preemptive attack when they see North Korea is about I to do nuclear You know, I have to say, I don't know how I got in the position of <laughs> yeah, seeming that, to advocate that orders be given by Twitter. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying that the Joint Chiefs managed to say, without saying, go jump in a lake, they managed to say, nope, that's not the way it works and we're not going to be motivated that way. And I thought that was a way of essentially telling the president of the United States off publicly but nicely. There was probably a little tiny bit of that in it. I yeah. admit. There was okay. probably a little tiny bit well of that. We said, can't David. hear you. Tinge. Yeah. Tinge. Tinge. OK. Yeah. So let me shift the focus while we have a few moments here because I – you know, I mean Scaramucci's out. Kelly's in. Kelly's not going to fix everything. Trump's the problem. We get it. He doesn't get it. He, in fact, is tweeting, the White House is not in chaos, and four hours later they fire somebody <laughs> else. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. One of the things that we've said on this show and I've heard on, 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 in countless other venues is, holy mackerel, this place is such a clusterfuck that if they faced a real crisis, nothing would actually you – know, they wouldn't be able to handle it. And I actually wrote my column for the Washington Post this week making a slightly different assertion, which is we are facing real crises. And the big problem is that we're not 
even able to have the conversation in which we acknowledge the crises are going on. Just to get, give a couple of examples and then get some reaction. For, we, we've talked about North Korea. North Korea will, we now know, during the Trump administration, develop the capacity to deliver a nuclear weapon to hit the continental United States. And it is going to be up to the Trump administration to come up with a solution. Once they achieve that capability and you combine it with the additional red line they're crossing, which is to move to maybe 50 warheads, which makes it very hard to take these things out, that's going to be the most destabilizing thing to happen in the world since the end of the Cold War. Because essentially you've got a rogue state that may or may not be motivated by deterrence um, or, or yeah, logic or, or logic or yeah. anything <laughs> with nuclear weapons that can hit the United States. And we don't have any good options. The military option produces massive casualties. The only way we could put economic pressure on them is to put economic pressure on the Chinese, which could produce really lousy economic consequences and also further alienate the Chinese. Uh, and oh, by the way, this crisis is compounded by the fact that the governments of our two closest allies in the region, China, uh, Japan and, and South Korea, are in complete chaos right now. And our next closest ally in the region, uh, the Philippines, is run by a lunatic. Okay, So that's North Korea. If Donald Trump weren't president, we'd be talking about it 24-7. Iran last week launched a satellite. Also, the president of the United States said he's going to decertify them in the fall. Also, the United States Navy got into a confrontation with Iranian ships in the Persian Gulf. Also, our closest allies in the region are embroiled in a fight between each other with the, between the GCC and Qatar. Also, the United States is supporting – David, you're being so negative. Sorry. Sorry. I thought that would make you feel good. Hand him I'm, your tiara. Well, it does. It does. I was trying to make you feel comfortable. I'm, I'll, I'll finish saying that also we've supported essentially attacks against Iran uh, in, in Yemen. And on top of all of that, we've essentially ceded to Iran, Iraq and Syria, which creates a greater impetus for us to try to const constrain their, the spread of their regional hegemony. I throw in hegemony for you there, Corey. And then <clears> – <throat> Thank you. And then I, I could go on to say Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Venezuela, uh, Russia. The, the Russia. Let's throw Russia in there. We've got a Russia crisis going on here with a standoff um, where anything we do makes the Russians happy. If we don't stand <laughs> up to them, they're happy. If we do stand up to them and it pisses them off, I mean, and, and, and we get into worse sort of relations, they're happy. If it weakens the president, they're happy if it strengthens them. They're it's happy. It's nice that someone's happy. Yeah. No, no. This is that we have – Putin has engineered tears. the heads I win, tails you lose um, uh, policy towards the United States of – you know, uh, which we now must live with. And then, you know, as I say, Venezuela, famine in Africa, chunks of Antarctica falling off. Any, any one of these things would be a complete, you know, disaster under, and, and, and a real crisis. And we don't have the bandwidth to talk about it. You know, let me start with Rosa. Should we be alarmed? 
yes, David, that, that should be our normal state, <coughs> alarm and outrage mixed together with a little bit of existential despair thrown in for good measure. Um, People are going to write in immediately. I want that on a mug. You know? <laughs> but, but, but let me link this back to John Kelly. I mean, here, here's, the, here's the deep metaphysical question for all of you to ponder. Um, given how crazy, dysfunctional, and screwed up Donald Trump is, is it better for him to have a chief of staff who manages to turn his erratic craziness into uh, predictable action that is based on his erratic craziness? Or is it better for him to have total chaos in which nobody's controlling anything and every couple days they fire somebody and there's a new little scandal and they can't do anything? That's a serious question, right? Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think the notion, as long as Trump is there, and I very much agree that you know, the, the problem is not controlling the staff, the problem is controlling Trump. Um, is it better to have a White House so dysfunctional that it can't do anything about these problems and therefore does nothing and therefore other other states either do or don't step in and things do or don't happen, but at least we're not making things actively worse. Uh, all of our sins become sins of omission. Or is it better to have a White House that somehow becomes actively engaged in attempting to solve these problems but the solver in chief is Donald Trump, in which case we stand a pretty good chance of doing something uh, insane. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think yes, you're you're absolutely right. Are there are there oodles of crisis crises going on right now? Pick your favorite one. Yes, there are. I, I seriously wonder whether it might not be the best thing that could possibly happen for the world for the next eighteen months until at least we get to the twenty eighteen elections. Uh, it might be the best thing for the world for the U.S. to be so tied up obsessing about the latest White House craziness that it doesn't do anything because any of the things that we might actually do if this White House got organized struck me as probably bad, likely so to be bad. There was a thesis, Julie, a, a little bit akin to what um, Rosa was saying. Dan Dresner or somebody wrote about this in The Washington Post, which essentially was we're too screwed up to do much harm. But some of these things I'm talking about here – are actually happening because we're so screwed up that we can't do anything about it. The North Koreans see it as an opportunity. The Russians just signed a 50-year lease on a naval base in Syria. They're inching forward every day in Georgia and no one's paying attention. They remain a threat to the Baltics. They've been disturbing elections across Europe, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not so sure that I buy the notion that a dysfunctional United States um, is – something that we should be grateful for. But what's realistically what's the alternative? Well, I mean, yeah, okay, if you if you frame it that way, <laughs> if it's a very focused Trump, the disruptor with all engines firing and all of his political appointees in place and they're moving out on a really radical agenda, that could be pretty devastating. But I think it's equally as devastating to have them just completely consumed by their own crises, self-inflicted wounds, whatever you want to call them, and have the world be floating and adrift without the United States as a player and, frankly, as a leader. Um, and you, when you made the list, David, of all the international crises out there, you noted in many cases there aren't regional players to take the reins. Who's going to take the reins in the Middle East? Who's going to take the reins in Asia? Who's going to take the reins in Europe? Um, I mean, we also have the Brits. You know, you, you normally would 
rely on London for at least some help with some of this, but they've got Brexit and all sorts of other things going on. So I'm not at all reassured by the argument that a distracted President Trump is necessarily a good thing. I mean, what what I good? Well, better. Pick your poison. Pick your poison. Okay, but I mean, look, what I would settle for, you know, if we're going to go with more movie references here, it'd be nice to have you know a scene from Weekend at Bernie's where they kind of roll Trump out on the gurney (laughs) and have him read from a prompter because there is surprisingly there is process going on, right? I mean, there there are actual meetings. People are having meetings. People are having meetings. It's just that what's decided in those whatever comes out of those meetings never floats up to the people who actually have the power to influence events. And, you know, I think Bannon and others and Kushner are getting the final say on all of that. But let's say if Kelly empowered McMaster to run a proper process and could convince Trump to come out and say something or do something constructive, that would be a win. I just have no hope or optimism that that will ever come to pass. Miss Tiara of Optimism, where do you come out on this? <laughs> well, David, as usual, I think you are exactly right. I think that our solipsism at this time is allowing the the liberal order that has served us and everybody else we want to be successful so well our distraction is allowing that to be chipped away at by the forces of entropy and by the forces who oppose our interests and the interests of other countries that we want to be successful. And they, I also agree with you that the momentum is increasing. That is that as adversaries understand that the Trump administration is largely incapable of doing much, um, Right? Like, David, you didn't even get to the fact that the Secretary of State has by choice decided to be ineffectual for an entire year while conducting a review that three smart people could do in an afternoon. Um, and Corey actually and did not it. A point seen be- <laughs> <laughs> Corey did it yesterday Thank afternoon, you. right? right. Oh, well, she did it in her book. Oh, oh, um, she I has see. a book about so, this. So I, I do think there are forces – forces of reason in the administration. I do think there are some foreign and national security policies they are getting right. But the chaos and dysfunction and the like the lurid all of us afraid to leave Twitter or TV screens for 10 seconds because Lord only knows what's going to happen next. This is not the way democracies are supposed to function. This is not the way successful hegemons continue to run the international order. I personally am going to miss Scaramucci, but, you know, just I don't want to go back to that. But, but, but let me pick up on something that, um, that Corey just said. I'd like to play a little bit of a lightning round here. And let's just go until we run out of names, OK? She said there are voices of reason in this administration. Corey, name two. Uh, Jim Mattis is a voice of reason in this administration. Um, I think H.R. McMaster is a voice of reason in this administration. Uh, okay, that was two. That's help all. me out, Rosa. Two. Rosa. <laughs> Fiona name, Hill. 
Fiona, senior director in the NSC. Yeah, for thank Russia you, Julie. And who, who's not Tom, brought into the meetings in Russia? Right whatever. Yeah. Uh, you didn't. That wasn't your. That wasn't yeah, your okay. question, David. Okay, so that's um, three. Yeah, raising and the standard again, David. Exactly, Sorry. moving that goalpost. Um, Tom Gofis is at the Pentagon doing Europe and NATO for the Secretary okay. as the Deputy Assistant Secretary. That's defense. it. We're out of voices of reason. Come on, Rosa. There are no uh, more. Brian, I think Brian, Brian Hook is uh, had a policy plan. I agree. Brian Hook. Put Brian Hook down. Five. Uh, Andrea Thompson <laughs> is the uh, vice president's national security advisor. I think she's very good. She's good? Yeah. Right. Not actually crazy. I think her right. deputy is very yeah. good. Okay, the Julie is gonna. Sorry, I think Julie is taking the tiara of optimism away from you. I'm not saying this means much at the end of the day, but uh, (laughs) there are there are people floating around over there. I noticed that certain little sort of silo-minded people here have remained completely silent throughout this. (laughs) I have nothing to say. (laughs) But David, so. (laughs) <laughs> right. There, there's he doesn't even have a pet, does he, Trump? What, what's no, he's that, actually the not first even, president in 150 yeah, years. So I was going to nominate pet. the White House pet, but there isn't one unless you count uh, Jared, I guess. But Nice. Mm. Can you have a Jew for a pet? Is that legal in this country? <laughs> I told you I thought Jared not was laughing at that, David. <laughs> I'm not either. Yeah, well, I can. <laughs> Rose is laughing. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. You know, apocalypse always puts me in a cheerful mood. It's her favorite subject. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, if you were thinking of a theme song, I was tweeting about this the other day and a former colleague of mine at Foreign Policy shot back saying, well, I guess our theme song is the old REM classic, The End of uh, the World yeah, as We Know It. And I thought, well, play that. Corey yeah. would probably not know what that was and would think the theme song was the song <laughs> the played at the Battle down. of Yorktown when Cornwallis <laughs> surrendered, which is the world turned upside down. Did you just say I that? I did say that, David. Oh, wow, I'm you're way ahead of you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Nerds unite. Yeah. Nerds wow. unite. Right wow. here. That's pretty impressive. Deep State That's Radio. That's the Battle of Yorktown. Woo. I'm all over it. Okay. <laughs> okay, Deep State nerds. I'm, I'm let's hear the playlist of songs. Yeah. that I think are the same as the end of the world as we know it. Well, I think that would be good. But I kind of like the idea of a little contest out there among our deep state nerds to come up with for Rosa and for the silo an apocalyptic playlist. <laughs> <laughs> the songs that we will be listening to while we're buried the thing underground that makes me while so everyone sad else about kills themselves. The Mooch's departure is yeah. that I we all have so many Tom more opportunities <laughs> to sing Bohemian Rhapsody and now we're not going to have them anymore. Yeah, you really enjoyed that joke. But <laughs> yes, I go nominate on. Tom Lehrer's Third World War song. That's good and very mm. good because I think that dates to like 1962 and I'm really, really – Getting impressed. close yeah, to today. It's yeah, good. It's yeah, very, yeah, current. It's very – The Kingston Trio's Merry Minuet. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. All right. Trio. I think I'm just going to step out about <laughs> oh now. Oh, my it's, God. Wow. Oh, geez. This is really just exactly what I expected. Um, <laughs> Uh, so the, the point is, can those voices of reason in this administration actually make any difference at all? No. I think the answer is in some cases yes and in some cases no. But the president's managerial style appears to be to surround himself with uh, viciously resentful and sharp-elbowed operators 
all of whom he sets against each other and whom he occasionally kicks and occasionally pets and and to keep everybody off balance because that's how he feels like he's the center of the universe. I think this is this is an extension of the ongoing axis of adults fantasy that that someday these sane people will somehow, you know, get him under control and it will all start sort of making sense again and they'll, you know, get things back to normal. And, and so far, uh, you know, we have lots and lots of evidence that this has not happened and is not going to happen. And there's multiple versions of this. So it was the generals will save him. There's the access of adults. There's the family. Let's right. not forget Ivanka, Ivanka is going to come in and ensure that climate change Ivanka really is likes right transsexuals. There. You know, it's all going to be fine. Kushner. Kushner. Melania. Yeah. The family would come in. So it's family, Little generals, access of adults. Change. I think we now have enough evidence to conclude that none of those groups will really yeah. have any influence whatsoever. Well, there's another yeah. fantasy here that's going on, which is that somehow the issues pertain to the structure of the government and the people in those positions. And the reality, of course, is that only one person really drives this. But the other reality is there, there are these investigations going on and these investigations can stir things up at any minute. And as I saw in a headline someplace on Twitter or something, you know, when we talk about former Marines in the United States government, one of them is named Mueller. And, you know, he's going to – That's a nice point, David. He's gonna, well, I stole it from somebody. But he's going to keep at what he's doing and the Congress is going to keep on what they're doing. And Nothing? There are people – well, there's <laughs> some investigations going on. But there are people out there in whose interest it will be at different points to release different facts that will be damaging to this president. So the reality is you could have a finely tuned – administration. You could have James Baker as the chief of staff. You could have, you know, pick your favorite secretary of state. And James all this Baker. could still explode on James them. Baker could be have every job in the US government. And 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 this th- whole thing could blow up because of things Trump has already done or Kushner has done or Ivanka has done or Manafort has done or Carter Page has done or Roger Stone. This list is long. We could go all day with this one. Right. Yes. Yeah, this is a much longer list. And so Don I think he intends to, Julie. No. Okay, go on, Corey. I'll stop. <laughs> well, if I can once if I can make a brief effort to temporarily grab the tiara of optimism, um I, I've said before and I'll say again Julie's that looking if we like, survive, hey, I'm not saying it, if we all <laughs> can survive the next 18 months and some of us won't, et cetera, you know, like if you're a deported immigrant, too bad for you. Goodbye. <laughs> also, but, poor Sam Shepard. Yeah, poor Sam Shepard, also dead. Yeah. Um, but if okay, the Rosa, rest this of us – not coming I'm across not as optimistic, optimistic, just in yeah. case no, no. you're wondering. If the rest of us can survive the next 18 months, um, that – and if we – or could be three and a half years, God forbid. Um, but if we can survive until Trump is Julie's banging your head against the acoustic foam again, um, if we can survive, there 
this could have some good outcomes in the longer term for the American political discourse if for nothing else. Look, who, who would have imagined that we would have gotten to a moment where the far left is proudly championing the CIA and the FBI and the far right is standing up for the rights of transsexuals to serve in the military, right? I mean, who would ever in a million years have predicted this? And only one man has made this happen, Donald Trump. Only Donald Trump is such an asshole that, you know, he has utterly scrambled all American political ideology. And that's got to be a good thing because we were not in a great place. So I look forward to the election of 2012 when, you know, Ben Sass and Jeff Flake run together on a pro-transsexual rights position. 2018 or 2012? Whatever. 2020 because that's the next, you know, unfortunately the next presidential election. Um, But it'll start in about six months. And, you know, Cory Booker runs as a champion of the CIA, you know, and that's going to be a good thing. This is one Meanwhile, of the world loses. Rosa, Americans I bow my lose. head. <laughs> nice effort. Rosa, I bow my head, take my tiara off, curtsy to you and hand it over. Thank you, Cory. Wow. That's something I never thought I would see. But it does yeah. go, Julie, to, there are these myth, myths that – are, that fl- are floating around Washington right now. And there's like a group of them, right? There's the myth of the adults. And there's the myth that we're so screwed up we can't do any harm. And there's the myth We have that nowhere to go but up. We have, right, that Trump has alienated everybody. And so we're going to have new unity in America because Trump is actually the alien invasion that Reagan referred to once as being the only thing that could unite us all. The, I mean – this seems to me to smack of desperation, but perhaps perhaps you want the I mean, maybe – no, I'm not taking it. Rosa can wear it. She's smiling. She looks wonderful wearing the tiara of optimism. Yes. Keep it on. Keep it on. Um, no, I just I, – I, if, if even if we get to the scenario that Rosa's outlined, I mean, it's years away at best. And meanwhile – you listed all sorts of crises that we're currently encountering. I think the list could get a lot worse very quickly. What did I mean, I well, you know, an Iranian shoots an American soldier, or Russia takes a bite out of Latvia, or North Korea actually hits something <laughs> at some point. A, a giant, massive works. terrorist attack in the United States. God help us. Um, I mean, there's just so many well, other things. There's a big that if. Could, I, yeah. I agree. I, the, I the feel if like we we're because yeah. we're big we're if. marching towards yeah. a lot of slow. Well, we're we're in these slow rolling crises. I think. But what people mean to say is what happens when a crisis erupts is that thing that happens that none of us saw coming or, uh, you know, just black swans, you know, stuff like that. So I think our, it could get fate, a hell of a and lot our fate worse is probably it. not going to have a black swan crisis that nobody saw coming. Our fate is going to be to stagger right into the crisis that everybody saw coming. But yeah, well, by the way, what if Ebola me, hits? I, I think mean, that's these right, types of, It could be. It could, though. It could. But, but, I don't know. Could, Anyways, but the maybe reality not. is most black swans. We don't even need a black we don't need, swan. You're right. We, got we our, don't we got need a black swan. swan. We got plenty of white swans floating yeah, around. Right. Yeah, and in fact, most crises are actually white swans. And swans are famously bad-tempered birds, as it happened. They're pretty, and yet they are mean. Bite. It happens so often, doesn't it? Yes. Bite. Peck. But having said that, you know, you do have to understand Rosa to interpret her optimism because she began with if we all survive. 
And anyone who knows Good Rosa point. knows she doesn't think she we doesn't are going to survive. She doesn't think we're going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> so, or two of us might. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, you sort of. Probably not us. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be purged. But. All in perspective. But that's why here in this tiny little studio, most of the little points of the acoustic tiling are worn off. And our producer, Ian, thinks it's because people come in here and pick the. The tips of the tiling off, but it's because Julie and others bang their heads against it. <laughs> I've got foam week. embedded in my forehead <laughs> now. I don't foam. know how I'm going to get that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just soaked in water. But that is some people a, start with foam in their heads. So yeah, but that's exactly what happens here once we start talking the truth, uh, which we plan to do twice a week for the foreseeable future unless there's some urgent need for us to do it more frequently than that. We hope you'll tell your friends how much fun it is to talk about all this. The apocalypse. Uh, the apocalypse. And uh, we hope you'll contribute <laughs> to our apocalypse playlist. I think that'll be fantastic. And uh, that you'll join us again real soon for another episode of Deep State Radio coming up later this week, in fact. We have the much- Looked forward to Thucydides' cage match featuring <laughs> Corey Shockey, <laughs> who is wearing her tiara of optimism and a spandex wrestling costume. Ah, I did not need that visual, and I'm the visual. <laughs> and Graham Allison. No, Corey will be wearing the tiara, and Graham Allison will be wearing the spandex wrestling oh, okay. costume. Okay, well, then we have Graham Another Allison. Another visual I didn't need. <laughs> Graham Allison in spandex, and that'll be coming along very soon. So please join us for that, and please join me in thanking Corey and Julie and Rosa. Come back again soon. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.